So we are all familiar with the idea that it takes different people with different skills, different, different talents, different abilities to make a full team, right? To make something that's cohesive, to make something that works well together. And you gotta have the right people in the right roles. And when you do, it's just, it's beautiful, right? And we can think of some of those examples in life. Like I think of, anybody know the movie Cool Runnings? Cool runnings, right? The Jamaican bobsled team, you've got like your four main characters that they were Olympic sprinters and then they transitioned all those skills and abilities into being an Olympic bobsled team together. They were the perfect fit and that soundtrack is just so good. If you haven't seen Cool Runnings, please go do that. It's amazing. They're a perfect fit together. But, you know, sometimes in life, we don't always have the right people in the right roles at the right time. And we can think of examples where it just doesn't work. The talent isn't quite there. It's just a little bit off, right? I've got one of those examples today. This is probably my all-time favorite video on the internet. I'm not sure if you're ready for it yet this morning, but get ready. All right, check out this example. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you beautiful? Wasn't that just the most beautiful music you've ever heard? That's honestly one of my favorite videos. I listen to it sometimes when I'm sad. It's Aaron's least favorite video, if you don't understand why. When we played it during rehearsal today, he just crumbled to the floor. Obviously, that guy just didn't fit, right? The style wasn't there. He wasn't playing the right stuff for that song. But we all long to fit, to, to have that purpose and that meaning and that calling that fits with our personality and our passions and our talents. One of the highest things that you can achieve in our culture is to find your passion and calling and to see where you fit. I mean, there's careers that revolve around helping people find their fit in the world. And this tension that we feel that we want our skills and abilities and passions to intersect with deeper meaning and purpose, that tension is natural. I think it's there for a reason. We're designed with this longing for purpose and for meaning in our lives. And hint, today we're gonna discover that our purpose and our longing and our calling and our meaning is all found in the larger picture of where we fit in God's story and what God's already doing in the world. So we're gonna get into all those lovely things today as we go through our series on Acts. We're in Acts 6 this morning. So if you wanna open your Bibles or maybe your apps to Acts 6, we're gonna start there. But as we dive in, let me just remind you of just two things really quick. First of all, Acts we've been discussing as primary, primarily descriptive and not prescriptive. And what we mean by that is this, that Acts is a story. It's descriptive in nature, it's a narrative a narrative about people, about people who are disciples living faithfully in their own context. And um, 
in that story, there are principles that we live by. That's the prescriptive part of it, of how we can live faithfully in our world. But mostly it's a story that we get to enter into. And not a story about special or superstar Christians, but a story about a supernatural God doing supernatural things through ordinary people like you and like me. So where are we at in the story? Right now we're in Acts 6, we're about 10,000 to 20,000 people make up the church at this point. That all throughout Rome, people have been coming to God, that they're finding truth, new life and community in the person of Jesus. And the apostles, they're busier than ever. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're establishing church structure. They're loving people and trying to give generously and teach their congregations how to do that too. So in the previous chapter, we have people selling land and giving that money to the church. And the beginning of Acts 6 really answers the question, what were they doing with all that money, you know? What did they need all that money for? Well, the answer is this, to care for people. So we start with a little problem that we have in Acts 6, starting in verse 1. Let's go check that out together. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows, the Hellenistic widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there's an issue at play here. There's a problem going on. Did you catch what it is? The Hellenistic Jews were feeling overlooked by the Hebraic Jews. The Hellenistic widows were not being taken care of, but the Hebraic widows were. It becomes a those people versus us problem, you know? It's not fair, they're getting taken care of, why aren't we getting taken care of? And maybe it's helpful here to just define a few terms real quick. So Hellenistic Jews, what does that mean? These are Greek Jews, Jews that were converted, people that were converted into Judaism from the Roman Empire. So they didn't start out as Jews, but they converted into that religion. The Hebraic Jews, though, those were ethnic Jews in nature, people born into the Jewish tradition, who were raised with Jewish traditions, living in the Jewish wisdom, marked by Jewish identity. And the author makes note of this division so that we have to pay attention to it as well. When the author makes note of something, it's good for us to pay attention, right? So, Hellenistic and Hebraic, we have to recognize that distinction because some people are complaining. They're saying that uh, these people, the, the Hebraic Jews, they're not taking care of us. We feel like we're on their home turf and they're, not, they're only caring for themselves, not for us and our people and our widows. You know, I've never played much sports ball in my life. I'm not really a sports ball person. I was always a show choir kid. It's a very distinct distinction there. But, I know that there's something called home field advantage, right? And that's when like the home team group in sports ball has an advantage just because they're on their turf. Like the crowd's behind them, there's energy there, they know the bases, I don't know, it's fine. But they have an advantage, both teams are playing the same game, but the advantage is there for the home team. It's kind of like that in this situation. These two groups of people, they're all Jews. They're actually all in the church now. They're coming under this one community, one umbrella. They serve the same God. They serve one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And yet this splintering is still happening. There's division that's based on their differences rather than solidarity and what they hold the same together. You know, the church will always be somewhat puzzling to us. Isn't that the truth? The church will always be somewhat puzzling. I mean, were the Hebraic Jews, were they doing this on purpose? 
Did they know that their home turf, you know, priorities and advantage was actually hurting somebody else? Were the apostles, did they know that this was happening? And they just kind of turn a blind eye to it a little bit? It's a puzzling example. And the church is puzzling in general, even today, because we're all broken. We're broken people, all of us. We're saved, yes. But we still let sin influence us. We still act selfishly. We make poor choices. We lose our cool sometimes. We put our priorities first. We seek power and control. We make bad decisions. And no one in the church is exempt from this. Not even people behind the scenes, not even people on this stage. We are all broken. And sometimes we let our brokenness lead the church. We let our sin lead the church rather than our unity. I mean, of all the people in the world, Christians should get along. Of all the people in the world, it should be Christians that are leading the way in that. But isn't that furthest from the truth sometimes? Our differences become conflicts because we focus on our divisions rather than the things that unify us. You know, there's this really popular like church illustration that people have used off and on, you know, through the years. It's pretty, it's kind of comical, but also underlying, it's just really sad. And it goes like this. There's a man who's on a deserted island. You know, actually, I'm a, I'm a lady preacher, so I'm going to use woman. I've already used a sports analogy today, so we're going to make the main character a woman for a second. So there's a woman on a deserted island, and she has to, you know, she's stranded there. So she has to hunt for food, get water, make a fire. She's doing great. But to cope with this new situation, she starts to make the things in her life that she had previously. So she starts building stuff. She's got you know, her Starbucks that she can visit, her fake island Starbucks. She's got her CrossFit gym that she can go to. And then she makes her church. And finally, the rescuer uh, comes to, to get her. She's on the island. She's like, oh wait, but first let me show you everything that I built, okay? Over here we've got my Starbucks, here's my gym. Oh, there's the church that I go to. And the rescuer's like, oh, that's a nice church, and sees a, sees a building that looks like the exact same across the street, and goes, wait, if that's your church, then what's that? And she says, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you get it? Because she's only one person. But there still was something that went wrong. There's still the split, even with one person. It's just our nature. You know, there are people that you disagree with theologically that you're going to worship next to in heaven. There are people that you don't even like you will worship next to in heaven. There are people who vote differently than you that you will worship next to in heaven. Our eternal life is about getting one thing right, one thing only, the one thing that we hold in common. The most important thing of our faith is that have I been redeemed and restored by the blood of Jesus? If we can learn anything from history, it's this. The problems of the church will always be there. Don't lose heart about that. There doesn't need to be uniformity in the church, but there needs to be unity, deep unity, based on the things that we hold in common. And the problem that we're seeing in Acts 6 is that these differences and these divisions, they weren't being met with unity. They were being met with inequality. So that brings us to our next chunk of verses. We're going to keep going in the story and see what they do about this problem. Let's start in verse 2. So the 12, the apostles, they gather all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us, the apostles, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables to serve. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, so you guys, have you ever heard of the, the term mission creep? I didn't know what this word was until Eric explained it to me. Um, it's a military term. So if you've seen Top Gun, you probably are like all about military terms right now. It's a military term, mission creep. Um, and it, it's when you're on a military mission and then things pop up on the mission that slowly turn you away from the actual mission. So circumstances, um, emergencies, you know, turn of events that slowly take your attention away from the main mission at hand until all of a sudden you're like on a different mission altogether. So what does the military do to stop that slow fade from the original mission into a different mission? Well, it's this idea that you have to be willing to say no to anything that will take you off course. You have to use your primary mission to make key decisions to eliminate distractions from around you. You have to keep the priorities of the mission, the primary object, in the front of your mind. That's what the apostles, that's what they're saying here in this text. They're, it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it, when they're like, we're not going to serve. We have to stay committed to the word and to prayer and into teaching and preaching. But that's not really what they're saying. They're listening to the problem, and the problem is that more people need taken care of. And, you know, the, the church is like, well, don't you care about people? What are you going to do? And they're like, yeah, you know, we, we do care about people. We should do something. But then the people are also like, but who's going to teach us about Jesus and about the word and about the gospel and about God's will for our lives? And the apostles are like, yeah, we, should, we have to do that too. That's a lot, isn't it? So what's more important according to this text? Is it preaching or is it people? I'm going to just say yes. Is it preaching or is it people? Yes. It's preaching and people. Preaching is good and necessary and God-honoring work. Serving people is good and necessary and God-honoring work. And here's the truth. God has called his church to make people and preaching priorities. People and preaching. I once heard it said that and is the holiest conjunction that there is. Not or, not but. And. Preaching and people are priorities in the church, main priorities, and it's so easy to oscillate to one side or the other, right? To maybe neglect saying tr the truth of God, preaching the word of God so that we can just be with people and serve people well. Or even maybe more tempting to just hide behind a pulpit and say good words but not let anything change our hearts or our lives. But and is the key word here. Preaching and people. You know, I've been so impressed in my short time here at First Christian with how well you guys do at that, at hearing the word and acting on the word. You know, last week we had a message about counterfeit faith, about having a faith that's real and active and honest and not being tempted to have one that's fake. And then immediately after that, we had an outward compassion initiative that uh, provided water bottles for the CU at home cooling stations. And it is so cool, guys, that in less than 24 hours, we had over 200 cases of water, of Gatorade, to give to the community, to actually physically bless the community around us. That's amazing, right? And this is what the apostles are saying in this text, is that both are important. Like, we're going to stay committed to what we know we need to do to preach and teach, but also we're going to empower people to do service in the community because a healthy church has to have the right people doing the right things. 
Let me break that down a little bit. A healthy church has to have the right people doing the right things. That can be like on a structural sense of like the church structure and then on an individual sense of how we uh, are called into specific things. So from like a, a church structure, you know, everybody in the church is called to do overall things, like general things, like pray, share Jesus, um, have compassion and kindness towards other people. But they're individually, we're called to specific things, like capitalizing on our personalities, our passions, our interests, you know, that kind of calling that we were talking about earlier. For our church, the specifics of that would break down like this. Elders, they guard. The elders of the church, they guard the church. They direct the church, the vision, the overall handling of like the word and preaching and teaching. The staff guides the church. It recruits and mentors and builds and moves towards the vision day by day. And then the people of the church, us, the people are gifted, gifted to go and to do ministry in the world, to be formed in discipleship. And together we make something beautiful. We make the body of Christ, the church. The phrase body of Christ is used throughout the New Testament to describe the church, and I love it. I think it's such a, a good um, analogy for what we're talking about here, that Christ is the head, but then that we have um, actions as the body itself. And it's described in 1 Corinthians like this that there are some different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And if, in, in going with the body description, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong in the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being part of the body. Let the whole body, if it were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Isn't that beautiful? We all make up the body. We all have these different skills and passions. You know, let's think about it in a practical sense real quick. Let's say you're hungry. I'll use myself. I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. I'm hungry. I'm sitting on the couch and I decide I need ice cream. Love ice cream, always want ice cream. So if you're like me, you know, you crunch your torso, get up off the couch with like a huh. Stumble off, I uh, pick up you know, with my hand the remote, I pause the Parks and Recreation episode I'm working on right now. I walk with my legs to the kitchen, I use my arm, you know, open up the freezer, grab the spoon, go straight for the ice cream bowl, or pint, because bowls, you know, not necessary at this point. All of this works together to, to get me to do something, to do something that I want, to, to be able to work together in unity. And some gifts and talents, you know, they might be more visible like different parts of your body. And some might be more hidden, but they're all valuable, they're all necessary, they're all essential. And everyone in the church is called to something, even though we may not be called to the same things. The organization that I get to work for is called the James Project, and we work with foster families and uh, foster kiddos in our community. And we have a saying that we like to, a phrase that we like to say in, the, in our organization, and it's, um, not everyone's called to foster a child, but everyone is called to do something. And then we like to ask people, so what can you do? And there's this awesome story um, of a friend of mine through the James Project, her name's Hollis, and she started using her gifts and her passions and her abilities to help foster children when she was four years old. She's just turning 11 now, but when she was four years old, she heard about the James Project and what we do to help foster kids. One of the things we do is that when a foster kiddo is placed into a new home, we provide the things that they need. A lot of times when kids go into care, they just have the clothes on their back, maybe a duffel bag, something like that with their things. Um, but oftentimes they don't have the things they need. 
So one of the things we provide is beds, and that really hit home to Hollis. She thought, man, I'm so lucky to have parents who can care for me at this moment. I'm so lucky to have a bed to sleep in. I want to raise money for foster kiddos so that they can have beds. That's the thought that she had in her brain. Again, four years old. She's awesome. So what did she do? She said, you know what I like doing? I like painting. So she started making all these art pieces. She worked for months and months and months, made a lot of art pieces, had an art show, sold her art, and gave every cent of what she made to the James Project for beds for foster kids. She's been doing that for us for seven years now. She's raised over $7,000 for foster kiddos and has bought over 50 beds. Isn't that amazing? that she could leverage her skills and her passions and her talents from the age of four years old on to serve people, to serve God and his mission in the world. And we've gotta stay focused. We have to use what we've been given both to serve God and to serve others. We gotta keep the main thing the main thing, and that takes intentionality and effort. You know, Hollis had to work to, to make that art, to sell that art, to bring beds to foster kids, and we all experience that mission creep in our lives, right? Things that pull us from the main mission. Maybe it's worry or stress or opportunities or peer pressure or even good things like family or career or fun. But we, like the apostles, are telling you, church is a team sport. We all are called to do something, and we must stay on mission. We must work together to fulfill the great commission of God, to bring people close to him. We need different people with different gifts, with different talents to expand the kingdom of God, to be like Jesus to other people, to bring people into the story. We need the right people in the right roles doing the right things. And in this story of Acts 6, the apostles saw the priorities of God, which are preaching the word and serving people, and they decided to stay on task, right? through continuing to preach and teach. And then they invited others into the story to empower them to serve where their gifts would let them. They're keeping those priorities of preaching and serving at the forefront of the church through doing that. And that's what we see you know, happening as the story continues. So let's keep going in our story today. Acts 6, 5 through 10. This proposal of having other people step up to serve the widows pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. A couple of things to note from this reading here. So maybe, maybe you noticed, there's a lot of names in this, in this little section. I have a whole list of names, of, of, kids, of kids' names that I could use now. Maybe Prochorus would be my first one. I called dibs on that. But all the names in this list, you realize that they're all Greek. They're all Hellenistic, right? Isn't that kind of cool? The apostles, they were brought this issue, and they made people uh, of the Hellenistic Jews, the leaders, to lead out against this, this problem. 
I love that, that the people who were neglected, who were not being cared for, were asked to step up and be part of the solution and direct it and lead it. That's so cool. And they were not selected just because they were the right people in the right roles, but also they had the right spirit given gifts. They, had, they were known for being full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And those seem like great choices for, to serve a community that's neglected, right? And the spirit here is a main character. He's not a side character. The spirit himself filled them and fills us with these gifts and talents. The spirit makes us an active player in the mission of Jesus. Let's put it this way. The spirit makes us participants in God's priorities. If we remember, the priorities are preaching and serving, sharing the word of God and serving other people. And the spirit helps us to be participants in that. Being full of the Spirit is for every believer. You don't have to lead a special life to be filled with the Spirit. And it looks different for every believer as well. There's a great passage in Romans that talks about that that we're gonna read right now. Romans 12, starting in verse six, says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We are all filled with the Spirit, is what this text is saying. We are all given these gifts and abilities. Some of them are public, some of them are private behind the scenes, but we all have them. You know who I have a lot of respect for? I have respect for people who listen well, people who empathize well. I know my giftings, and I do not have what this text called gifts of mercy. Being able to be compassionate of walking with people through things. I live my life at like a freight train speed. I'm just like bulldozing through the world. And sometimes it's hard for me to slow down, to sit with my own emotions, to sit with other people's emotions. It's not really my gifting, but when I see people do it, I get so moved and empowered. It's a powerful gift, the gifts of mercy, but it's not front and center. It's behind the scenes but it's deeply moving to me. You know, it's interesting here because Luke is describing this story, right? The need, the problem, and how it's met. And he's, he's saying that these seven men were raised up to, to serve, but it wasn't for the reasons that you think. They were filled with the spirit and they were full of wisdom, of grace, of power. You know, the first and probably most noteworthy name that we see in this text is Stephen, and we're gonna spend a lot of time with Stephen next week. Um, in Acts 7. But what, is, what does Luke point out about Stephen here? He, noticed, he notices Stephen's gifting, which is that he's full of the Spirit and wise, and that Stephen was faithful to follow Jesus through whatever opportunities came before him. You know, it started with service, right? Waiting tables, the ministry to people. Stephen was there and faithful. And then it moved him all the way to the synagogue of the freedmen's, of preaching and teaching the word. And Stephen was faithful in all of it. So the synagogue of the freedmen's, let's talk about that for a second. The synagogue of the freedmen's was established because there was these Jews that by birth, they were Jewish, and then they were enslaved by Rome. And then the Romans decided, okay, well, we'll free you guys, but you have to be Roman citizens. You can no longer be like Jewish citizens. So they were Jews uh, by teaching and by living, but Roman citizens in the world, uh, the freedmen, right? Um, Can you think of any other characters throughout scripture that kind of fits that description? 
That would be Paul, right? Paul was trained by Jewish rabbis, but a citizen of Rome. And so there's some commentators think that Paul could have actually gone to this synagogue, the synagogue of the freedmen's. And we see here that the leader of the freedmen's, they're pretty upset. Stephen's been doing some work. He's been preaching a lot and teaching and sharing the message of the gospel with anyone and everyone that he meets. He's been saying that Jesus is the true source, the only source of forgiveness in this world. It's not the law. It's not what you've been taught. It's not the traditions that you follow. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's like he's in this synagogue saying to these people that you've been freed from physical slavery in Rome, but you're still under the spiritual slavery of the law. These are wise and life-changing words from Stephen. It says that the text had received, or the text says that Stephen had received the wisdom of God. Why do you think that is? Do you think the wisdom of God here was used to bash people over the head? To be intellectually superior? To not look like a fool in front of people? To Bible thump people into submission? No. The wisdom of God is to win people to Jesus. It's to love them well. It's for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. The gospel message The Great Commission, the wisdom of God is not meant to be used to win arguments, but to love people. The wisdom of God is not meant to serve you, your ideas, your ideals, your priorities, your plan, your life. The wisdom of God is meant to serve others, to love people well, to lead them to the source of life itself, which is Jesus. So Stephen, he lived in service to the body of Christ, right? He used his gifts wherever it led him, either serving people or preaching the word to evangelize. So I think, you know, as we wrap things up today, maybe we think to ourselves a lot that we're trying to find our purpose in life, our calling. We're trying to know where we fit in the kingdom and in the church. Maybe we're having a hard time finding it. Can I tell you some truth just really quick? might hurt a little bit. Maybe we can't find it, not because God's hiding a purpose or a calling from us, but maybe because we're hiding from him. God makes it abundantly clear what we're supposed to do. He makes it abundantly clear what we're supposed to prioritize. His will for our life is there. It's to love him and to love others, to serve others and to share his true saving word, but we won't let go. We won't let go of the plans that we've made, of the life that we want, of sacrificing what we should to enter into the will of God, our pride, our power, our position, maybe our influence, our home, our space, our priorities. But listen to this, no one is called to be a spectator in the kingdom of God. The will of God is not you sitting on the sidelines, sitting on the bench, sitting here in this church and then coming back next week. The will of God is that you enter in, that you participate, that you live a life submitted to him by his strength. So how do we do this well? Well, to participate in God's plan, you need to prioritize your gifts. It's the slow fade that we've been talking about this whole time of realizing where you fit in the kingdom. Maybe ask the question, what are you gifted at? Do you, like my friend Hollis, do you have gifts and skills and passions that you can leverage for the sake of someone else, for the sake of the gospel? I can guarantee that you do, and I can guarantee that there's a spot for you to serve, either here or in the community at large. You know, there's kids ministry, there's guest central, there's youth groups. 
We've got opportunities to do outward compassion, to serve the world, to evangelize, to preach, to teach. These are all places that you can be involved in. And we wanna connect you to any of these opportunities. We want you to find your spot where you fit, where you can serve in the right spot with the right heart and the right roles. And maybe the question isn't even, you know, what are you gifted at? Maybe the question is, what are you gifted with? What can you leverage for the sake of the gospel? Maybe you can finally lean into that gift of generosity, of giving to someone else, of giving to the church, of making sure that other people's needs are met. Maybe you're blessed with resources, or maybe you're blessed with a home. You know, I've heard it said recently that the American Christian's idol is their home. It's the thing that we put fences around to keep people out, to keep it our private space. What would it look like for you to leverage your home for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of somebody else? Maybe it doesn't mean selling your home like they did in the chapter previous, but you know, you could host small group. You could be a foster family. You could invite someone in for dinner. So asking those questions, what are you gifted at? And what are you gifted with? And if you don't know the answer to those, that's okay. Maybe talk to a friend, someone who loves Jesus and who loves you and can give you some of those answers. And maybe you're not sure where to serve. That's also okay. Come talk to a pastor, come talk to a staff member. So we'd love to get you connected to a next step, to a next opportunity. Because this matters, guys. This matters a lot, not for the reason that maybe you think it does. It matters because of this. Listen, we do not limit God. We don't have that kind of power. We do not limit God. God's will will be done no matter what our involvement is. God's priorities will be achieved no matter what we do. He is God and he is sovereign. But guess what? We miss out. When we're not serving his purposes, we're not acting in God's will, we miss out. We miss out on working alongside the God of the universe to bring people into his kingdom. We miss out on the opportunity to be close with God as we're his hands and his feet in the world. We miss out on life abundant here and now by doing his will, by being his people, by being known by our love, by our generosity, by our joy, by our growth and our movement. We miss out. Often I hear people say, I wanna know God more, or I wanna see God move. That's amazing. You can, you can know God more. You can see him move. Do you wanna know how? Through participating in his plan, through serving him and serving others, through loving him and loving others. God wants you to know him, to experience him, to be with him as you're his hands and his feet to anyone and to everyone in front of you. So don't miss out. I'm just begging you of that today. Don't miss out on God's plan. Don't miss out on participating with him. You are the right person. There is a right place and a right role for you to fill. So take a step to serve, to surrender to Jesus. Letting God work not just in you, but through you. Let's respond to God together today. Would you stand as we continue in worship this morning?